Um, we're going to be in His Word again this morning in Mark 8. We've been going through verse by verse. Hey, Mark has 16 chapters, and so we're almost halfway. We're starting uh, Mark chapter 8 um, today, and we're going to get through 21 verses. Um, you're going to notice, uh, like I said, in the bulletin, things are a little different. If you want to take notes, um, just pull that thing out. You can take some notes right on there, and then uh, also a spot for some of that application stuff as you jump into a life group. Uh, either this evening or some other evening this week, too. Um, it would be helpful if you are in one of those life groups to uh, spend a little bit of time before you get there, um, just looking through these questions, maybe writing down some answers so that when you get there, you're not just kind of like blindsided. You, you know kind of what where everything's going uh, for the evening, and so that might be helpful to you. Um, I love how applicable God's Word is to us. Uh, maybe you've noticed that same thing. Hopefully you've noticed that same thing, that this is, this is certainly not words inspired and written a long time ago, and then that's it. But, but they speak continually into our lives. I, uh, just this passage, as I've been studying it this week and preparing to preach it, I've already preached this to like three or four different people this week in different contexts because I'm meeting with them and we're talking about stuff, and it just... It just, this applies. And so, so I kind of been doing So, some of you have gotten a sermon preview already if you're one of those people that I've shared it with. Uh, but I really do trust that God's word is not just for us to, to know and understand and even appreciate, but it's here for us to believe and apply. Um, that's one of the main reasons we have these life groups as well, to help us with that. But more than a life group, we have the Holy Spirit who helps us with that. So, let's just begin by praying and asking Him to do that. God, uh, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit who comes to illuminate, to shine light on our hearts, um, our minds, uh, which are often distracted and often thinking about other things, maybe even smelling food that, that we smell right now. So many things that we could be thinking about. God, would you, um, just in the next moments, get our minds and our hearts focused and fixed on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Would you help us to... To, to understand a bit more of who He is so that we might more fully trust Him and follow Him. In His name we pray. Amen. Super, super quick introduction. One statement, one question today. Okay, One statement, one question. Statement is this. We have been given very much. We have been, it is, it is clear to us that God has been a faithful and generous provider to us. Has He not? We have more than enough. Don't we? That wasn't the question yet. That's still the statement. The question, the question is this. So in light of that, why? Why do we demand more? Why do we worry so much? And, and why do we fail to see God for who He's really showing Himself to be? That's what we're going to look at as we open up Mark chapter 8 this morning. I think those are maybe questions that maybe you've asked yourself or, or have, or, or maybe I'll help you to ask those and maybe even answer those this morning as we open up God's Word. So we'll be in Mark chapter 8, uh, starting in verse 1. You know, I put uh, the, the, the stuff on slides so that you can follow along, but if you have your own Bible, it's great, especially if it's a different version, for you to be able to kind of follow along um, as we're doing that uh, throughout the sermon. We don't just, uh, we don't just you know, read Scripture and then close our Bibles, and then I give you my opinion. We want to go through Scripture verse by verse. So keep your Bibles open, and if you're able to, let's stand as we read God's Word from Mark 8 this morning. 
says this, In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them, gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd, and they had a few small fish. And blessing them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full, and there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away, and immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. Now the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? You can be seated. Now, if you have been here throughout our series in Mark, or even if you've spent some time just reading the Scriptures, you'll notice that this is the second time in a pretty short period of time in which Jesus has fed a whole lot of people with a very little food. In Mark chapter 6, we read of the feeding of the 5,000. Now, there's a, a few differences, a lot of similarities between these two accounts, but also some differences. And the differences are actually quite important. The one difference I really want to point out for us this morning so that we can see, there's a difference in number of people. The first time it was 5,000 men plus women and children. This time it's just 4,000 people altogether, right? So a different number of people. But the main difference that we need to be aware of is this, that Jesus, this time as he's feeding the masses, he's in a very different place. The audience, the people that are being fed, are different people than the people that he fed the first time. The first time Jesus went and fed the masses, most of those people were Jewish. Now, as Jesus feeds the masses, he's in a different region, and the majority of these people are probably not Jewish or Gentile. Okay, That might not seem like a big deal to us. That's a big deal to them. Okay, They were the people who the Jewish people, as we looked at last week, when we looked at that, remember that Syrophoenician woman? What was one of the names that Jewish people had for Gentiles? Dogs, right? That's what they called them. 
They, 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 they looked at them like they were these unclean, stray, mutt, eat junk out of the dump kind of dogs. That's the way a lot of Jewish people would look at Gentile people. But now here Jesus is, not with a mainly a crowd of Jewish people, but mainly now with a crowd of Gentile people. People that other people would have seen, well, these guys are far from God. I mean, they don't go to learn in the synagogues like we do. They're not looking for the Messiah like we are. They're not making sacrifices in the temple like we are. These people are far from God. That's the way they would have looked at them. But we see here in Mark chapter 8, in these days when again a great crowd had gathered, they had nothing to eat. He called his disciples and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd. Jesus said, I have compassion on these people. These people that are far from me, many of whom probably have not much of an interest or not any kind of background that would make them acceptable to God for sure. Jesus says, I have compassion on them. We need to hear this. As we come into contact again with people who we believe might be far from God, right? Like, well, they're, they're, they can't be interested. There's no way they would listen to what I have to say if I started proclaiming the gospel to them. I don't think, if I invited them to church, there's no way they'd want to come, right? A lot of things that we think like that. These people that, well, they're far from God. They're living such a different life than the life that I'm living. They almost seem unreachable. But for those of us that are following Jesus now, we might remember, we might, might be forced to remember, where would we be if it hadn't been for God's grace? Or maybe for that one person who was willing to share the gospel with us when we were separated from God, far off from Him, that we heard the gospel and our hard heart, our dull mind was changed and transformed. We need to remember that. And for those of you who aren't yet Christians, I want you to hear this too. That Jesus has compassion on these people. These hungry people who need to be fed. These people that initially weren't a part of Jesus' target audience. Right? And Jesus has compassion on them. Those of you who are not yet Christians, you need to recognize the first point is this. Jesus provides. Those of us that are Christians, we would maybe quickly say, "Eh, yes, amen. Jesus provides. And we can think of all of the ways that God has provided for us in our lives. If you're not a Christian yet, I want you to still think about that. God's provided for you. Where where do you think your life comes from? Where do you think your health comes from? Where do you think all of the blessings that you experience in life come from? Even if you're far off from God, you've received great blessings from God. God provides. Look at verses 4 and 5. The disciples again. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this part because we just did the feeding of the 5,000. Um, again, we, we, like we saw in chapter 6, the disciples are doubtful. Jesus says we need to feed the people. And just like in chapter 6, the disciples are like, uh-huh. Yep, and in, in chapter 6, they even like raised a point like, you know how much money that would take, Jesus? We don't have that. We got five loaves of bread and two fishes. In this case, they got seven loaves of bread. 4,000 people. Just not going to cut it, Jesus. Very doubtful disciples. But Jesus is again going to use these doubtful disciples to feed the masses. These disciples who think, I can't do anything about this. Jesus is going to bring them into this miracle. Look at verse 6. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves. And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. 
and they set them before the crowd. We see the same thing happening as in chapter 6. You remember that progression? That, that Jesus takes the bread, He gives thanks for the bread, He breaks the bread, and then He gives it to His disciples. That happened in chapter 6. That's happening again in chapter 8. That's going to happen again in chapter 14 at what we call the Last Supper. When Jesus is sitting with His disciples and He takes the bread, He gives thanks for the bread, He breaks the bread, and then He gives them the bread. And that's all a foreshadowing of what He's going to do with His life. That He is the bread of life and He has come to give Himself to be broken for our sins and for their sins. Now He's saying this same thing to these Gentiles. That's what they really need. They need, certainly, I mean, they need bread. What they need more than physical bread, what they need more than their daily bread is they need the living bread, the bread of life. That was true for the Jews in in Mark 6. That was true for the Gentiles in Mark 8. That's true for the 100 or so people sitting at 19939 County Highway D20 in Iowa Falls, Iowa right now, right? It hasn't changed. What we really need is not just for God to provide us with our daily bread. We need God to provide us that which we really need, and that is a Savior the bread of life who will truly satisfy us. That's the truth. Verses 9 and 10, then after everybody is fed, we read that, and they ate and were satisfied. This is verse 8. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full, and there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately Jesus gets into the boat with his disciples and goes to a new place. Now, Jesus is the provider, okay? That's point number one. We've seen that again and again in the Gospel of Mark. All sorts of ways that Jesus has provided what people needed, right? We don't have to even look in the Gospel of Mark. We can look in our own lives. See, again and again, all the times that Jesus has provided for us exactly what we need. And, and, and here, just like in our lives, there's leftovers. We, don't even, we can't even take all that He gives us, right? There's leftovers. So we truly are a people with full stomachs. We have everything we need and more. Question though, is it possible? Is it possible for the people here in the Gospel of Mark, and is it possible for us to have stomachs that are so filled by Jesus who provides, yet still have blind eyes to who He really is and what He can really do? Unfortunately, the answer is yes. It is very possible for us to have our stomachs so filled by the God who provides for us that we can still somehow be blind to who He is and what He can do. That's our problem, isn't it? Jesus provides, gives us full stomachs, but we can still have blind eyes. Let's go ahead and look in verses 11 through 13. We're going to see Jesus encounter the Pharisees again. Verse 11, I want you to notice four verbs here, how they're coming. Okay, listen. The Pharisees came, and they began to argue with Him, seeking from Him a sign from heaven to test Him. Okay, four verbs in there. These Pharisees coming before Jesus, it's a good thing to come before Jesus, right? We saw last week a Syrophoenician woman come before Jesus. But how did she come before Jesus? Do you remember She came before Jesus with humble dependence, right? And persistent faith. A humble dependence. This woman comes before Jesus with humble dependence. Is that how these Pharisees are coming today? They're coming before Jesus too. It says they came, but how did they come? They came with their minds already made up. 
They came believing what they're going to believe. They're going to do what they're going to do. They're not coming to seek something from Jesus. They're coming to attack Jesus. They're coming to, it says, argue with Him. That's another verb that we see there. It says, seeking, uh, they came to argue with Him, seeking from Him a sign from heaven to test Him. When it says test Him, that's not like a kind of test like, oh, I want to see if this is right. That's like the kind of test that you put in front of somebody to trip them up intentionally. It's like, I know you're not going to be able to do this, so I'm going to test you with this. Your version might even use the word tempt. Okay? That's what they were doing. But did you notice what they wanted? What were they, what were they demanding from Jesus? The, the Pharisees are making demands. What are they demanding from Jesus? A sign. Kind of ironic, isn't it? I mean, maybe they haven't witnessed every miracle so far in Mark, but they've seen plenty themselves, and they've heard of a lot. Yet they have the guts to come before Jesus demanding, give us a sign. Really? You're wanting Jesus to get, the the Jesus who just fed 4,000 people with seven loaves, you want him to give you a sign. How about the Jesus who raised um, Jairus' daughter from the dead, you want him to give you a sign? How about the Jesus who has healed countless people and cast out demons out of many people, you want him to give you a sign? Right? They're being very demanding, and actually Jesus has already done what they're asking him to do. Jesus has provided all sorts of signs for them, yet they come demanding a sign, saying, Jesus, I'm not, I'm not doing your thing until you do my thing. Right? Pharisees are, are very demanding, not coming with humble dependence. Verses 12 to 13, Jesus' response and he sighed deeply in his spirit. That's the only time in the whole New Testament that that word is used. Sighed deeply. The other literature it's used in is a pretty rare word, but it always talks about just deep despair or dismay. He's not yelling this. It's just a... He is just... He's compassionate, even for these hard-hearted Pharisees. And it hurts his heart. It grieves him. He's dismayed because of their unbelief. And he says, I will give you no sign. And Matthew will fill this out even a little bit more in your life group. You might take a look at Matthew's account. Mark always kind of gives us the the, the shortest version possible. We get kind of the longer version of this with an extra comment by Jesus in in Matthew's account. And go there. But Jesus' response to the Pharisees, did you see that? And he left them. He didn't give them another sign and he left them. It's quite possible, again, for us to have full stomachs and blind eyes. We see that in the Pharisees. I mean, if we think of this, how faithful and generous has God been to us? Hasn't he? He's given us, again, way more than we need. But do we ever have a Pharisaical kind of attitude towards him? The kind of attitude that says, God, I know you've done all of this. The fact that I'm even still living today is evidence of your great grace and provision in my life. But... If you don't do this one thing for me, God, then I don't know that you're really God, and I don't know that I can really trust you. We have that kind of attitude sometimes, don't we? That kind of attitude that makes demands of God, saying, God, if you do what I tell you to do, then I'm going to trust you. But if you don't do what I tell you to do, then I'm not going to trust you. But the truth is this. I'm going to say this two times because I had to make it sink into my head a lot this week. I wrote it down. I was like, ooh, that's really good. (laughs) Sometimes that happens. Um, 
It says this, if God would only be God, if he did what we demanded, then he wouldn't really be God. Can I say that again? If God would only be God, if he did what we demanded, then he wouldn't really be God. We would, right? There's a lot of arrogance in what the Pharisees are doing here. And we kind of think, well, I don't like to be like them. But there's some arrogance sometimes in the way that we approach God. Not with humble dependence, but with saying, God, you do this and then I will this. We bargain with God, right? Like we're in control. We're in the driver's seat. But the truth is, if God would only be God, if he did what we demanded, then he wouldn't really be God. Some people want God to prove himself. They say, God, there's all these people confused about who you are, all sorts of different religions, and nobody quite gets it. Why don't you come and just split the sky, God? Come down and just settle it once and for all, right? That's what people ask for. If you do this, God, then we'll believe. But the people saying this are the people that were witnessing it with their very eyes, everything that God was at work doing, and they still didn't believe see a lot of doubt, a lot of opposition from the Pharisees in the Gospel of Mark. But maybe you're not like that. Maybe, maybe at one point in your life you did that. Maybe, maybe you've grown it and you don't really make demands of God. Maybe your approach to God is one often of humble dependence, and that's good. So you might say, well, I'm off the hook because I'm not like the Pharisees this time. Sometimes I am, but this time I'm not. But I guess that uh, maybe if you're not like the Pharisees, you might be a lot like the disciples in this passage. I think that's really a possibility. Jesus leaves the Pharisees behind, gets in a boat, but he doesn't go alone. The disciples get in the boat with him, we saw in verse 13. I think we can relate to these disciples. We're going to find out as we look at these final verses that they're not blind like the Pharisees are. They're not opposed to Jesus like the Pharisees are, but they don't quite get it yet either. That's more like us, isn't it? Many of us can relate to that. Okay, I'm not blind. I'm not opposed to Jesus. But if we're honest, we don't quite get it yet, right? Let's look at the disciples. Verses 14 to 21 be the last point, sort of. Verse 14, we're going to get in verses 14 to 16 a warning from Jesus and then also this issue about some missing bread. Verse 14 says this. Here's the problem. Now they had forgotten to bring bread. And they only had one loaf with them in the boat. Okay, that's a problem. You've got hungry dudes on a road trip. And there's no convenience stores on the sea. Right? It's like, oh no! We're, we're, we're a bunch of dudes and we're on a road trip. And we only got one loaf of bread. Big oversized granola bar. Probably dry and crusty at that point. That's all we got. Right? Oh no! Think the guys. Jesus, though, is his mind's not on bread his mind's on the interaction that they just had with the pharisees and he realizes this that that the pharisees and and herod too both have a lot of influence on god's people right have a lot of influence and this opposition that they have towards jesus can very quickly and easily spread like leaven like if you've made bread before you don't put much yeast in there but it makes the whole batch of dough rise right And Jesus is thinking about that. And because he loves his disciples, he's going to give them a warning. So look at verse 15. And he cautioned them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now Pharisees and Herod, again, they didn't have much in common except for this. They both didn't like Jesus. That's about the only thing they had in common. So Jesus has this warning for his disciples. Listen, I love you guys, but there's some people out there opposed to me. And they're very smart and influential people. 
but watch out. There might not be many of them, but their influence is pervasive. Could we apply that to us today? Yeah. There's a lot of people out there opposed to Jesus. They might say nice things, but they're not teaching the true things about who Jesus is. There might be a small number of them, but is their influence great? Yes. And so he says, beware of the leaven. Watch out. It's just a little bit, but it's going to be pervasive if you don't watch out. It's going to spread through the whole lump of dough. That's what we need to hear as a warning from Jesus for the church. How do we, how do we battle this? I think we need to just constantly flood our minds with truth. Because we're hearing lies from so many different directions that don't sound that bad. But they're lies nonetheless. And we need to be flooding our minds with the truth. Are you reading God's Word? Do you need, maybe you need to this week turn off the TV and open up your ESV, right? Maybe you need to evaluate how much time you're spending on Facebook and get more time with your face in the book, right? Those kinds of things. We need to acknowledge, hey, we're hearing stuff from all over the place that may or may not be true, but we know that for sure what God's Word says is true. So we need to flood our minds with that because there is a leaven out there. Not the Pharisees and Herod. There's other people today. And that can infiltrate us and penetrate and and spread through us very quickly if we're not careful. But the disciples totally missed it. Right over their head. Look at verse 16. So Jesus gives them this loving warning. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. (laughs) It was kind of funny. If it wasn't funny, it'd be funny, right? Like... We just we don't have any bread. We've got one loaf. I mean, how are we going to split this up? I, I, I need more than that. I'm hungry, you guys. Like, you know, that's their discussion. Totally missing the point. They're worried. You see the irony in here? We can relate to this, too. They were the ones with Jesus just moments ago. Before they got in the boat, what did they do? They had seven loaves of bread, and they fed 4,000 people with it. They got in the boat with that same Jesus. They're sitting in the boat with Jesus, who just multiplied that bread and fed 4,000 people. There's 13 in the boat now, and they're worried about whether or not they're going to be able to cut it with one loaf. And we can laugh at them, and again, that's funny. It'd be funny if it wasn't funny, because we see ourselves in them. How many times have we seen God provide for us, yet how often do we find ourselves worrying? We worry a lot, don't we? Way too much. We're so worried about, well, is God going to come through for me? When has God not come through for us? How many times do we have to witness it in our own lives? How many times do we have to read of it in Scripture? Yet we don't believe it, and so we're more like the disciples than we'd like to think. We worry way too much. We forget way too often. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but worry doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, I just quickly did some math adding it. We have three children and added up uh, the days of their lives so far. Um, uh, approximately 4,925 days added up between the three kids. Okay? There has not been one of those days out of 4,925 in which we have failed to feed them the food that they needed and was appropriate for them at that time. Not once. 4,925 days. Not everybody in the world can say that, but most parents in the United States of America can say that. That that here, 
We have every day that our kids needed food, we were able to provide that for them. So wouldn't it seem weird if I came home from work sometime this week and, our, and my kids were just, just worrying and doubtful that we'd get any food? Be like, well, there's no grounds or basis for your worry or doubt. We've always given you everything you need. Why are you worried? It wouldn't make any sense if my kids were responding in that way. And our worry doesn't make sense either. When we look at all that God has provided for us, how can we not continue to trust that He'll continue to provide for us? Right? Has He never not taken care of us? Has He ever not taken care of us? No. But the disciples are worried. So let's move ahead to verse 17. Verse 17 says this, And Jesus, aware of this, said to them. Now we're going to get a whole bunch of questions from Jesus. Listen to what he says. Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember? So Jesus asks just a series of questions. And he's targeting all sorts of things. He's targeting their mind and their heart. Saying, is your heart hardened? Don't you get it? Don't you remember? You have eyes, don't you see? You have ears, don't you hear? Notice that this is kind of couched between uh, Jesus healing a deaf man last week and next week Jesus healing a blind man. We're going to see this kind of pop up over and over. Jesus is looking at his disciples and saying, you guys, I see ears. I, I see eyes. Do you not see? Do you not hear? Do you not perceive? Are your hearts hard? They're not getting it. Look at verses 19 and 20. It says, When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. Okay, Jesus is reviewing with them. Re- this is good for us to do. There's even a spot in your guide that if you're meeting with the life group, or even if you're not, you can use the guide. List all the ways that you've seen God provide for you recently. And Jesus is just saying, let's just, let's just review, guys. I have been your provider, right? When we fed the 5,000, was there leftovers? Yes. And they even remembered. They knew the facts. They knew the facts. But is it possible to know the facts and still not really get it? Yes. These guys, they have, they have partial sight. The Pharisees seem totally blind. These guys have partial sight, though. They, they, like, they kind of get it. I went to the eye doctor this week. Um, I don't like failing tests, but for the last couple of years, every time I go to the eye doctor, there's one test that I fail. I have this problem with um, the optic nerve in my left eye that's causing me to lose my peripheral vision in my left eye. Okay? And so, every time I go, uh, I, I do that one test, you know, where they like make you look at stuff that's like flashing uh, in, in your peripheral vision. So I'm doing the right one, and the lady says, okay, now click it every time you hear something. It's going to start in three seconds. When it starts, I'm clicking away. Boom, boom. Nailed it. Just did great, right? And then she goes, okay, now we're going to do your left eye. And I knew what was going to happen, but she goes, now we're going to do your left eye. And then she goes, three seconds till it starts. And then like three seconds later or five seconds later, she's like, oh, it started. I said, yep, I know. <laughs> Wasn't seeing anything flashing. I just, I can't, I can't see much. I didn't know that I couldn't see it till I took that test. Like I've never, I can't, I can't tell what I can't see, right? Like my, my vision is pretty clear when I'm wearing my contacts or my glasses. There's just certain things that I'm supposed to see that I'm not seeing. 
And that test points that out every time that I take it. I gotta go take a longer test this other time so I can feel dumb again, right? Like, I know, I can't see. The only thing I could see was like right in front of me. Like, you got that one right. Well, good. Um, That's great. And I think that's part of what's happening with the disciples here. Except for what they're seeing is almost opposite. Their peripheral vision is really good. They're seeing all sorts of things. They know all the facts. Yeah, you can feed people, Jesus. Yes, you can heal people, Jesus. They saw all of these facts that are kind of on the periphery. But the one thing that they were supposed to see, the one thing that Jesus most wanted them to know, who he really is, they were missing it. And it grieved Jesus' heart that they were missing what they most needed to see. They needed to see Jesus' true identity. So Jesus ends in verse 21. This is, this is a hard way to end a sermon. But come back next week because you're going to see it turn around. Take a pretty sharp turn next week. You can read ahead if you want. But verse 21, Jesus ends with this. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? He recognizes that their sight is not what it should be. They're only seeing in part what they ought to be seeing. And we can apply this to ourselves. Jesus wants his disciples, he wants us to know his true identity. He does. He longs for us to know who he really is. That's why we have the word. But is it possible that we could even have the Bible? Is it possible that we could sit here every Sunday morning for years? Is it possible that we could read the Bible? Is it possible that we could have all sorts of facts down and still not get and believe who Jesus really is? The answer is yes. Could we experience full stomachs, being blessed by God in so many ways, and yet come to the point where we just say, I guess I don't really even know who He is? that's showing in the way that I live my life that I don't really know who He actually is. So we need to hear Jesus' words in verse 21 sink into our hearts this week. Looking at us and saying, do you not yet understand? You who worry all too much. You who are very concerned about things that you probably don't need to be concerned about. Do you not yet understand? We've gotten it, but do we really get it? We've seen it, but do we really see it? We've heard it, but do, have we really heard it? It's the question that we need to go away with this week. Most of the time, the truth is we have hard hearts, dull minds, blurry vision, and bad hearing. That's just the reality. But the good news of the gospel is this. The good news of the gospel is that we have a God who really is God. We don't have a God who bends and caves to our demands, letting us be God. He won't let us be God because we're not God. He alone will be God. My glory I will not give to another, he says. He alone is God. That's part of the good news. That's part of the gospel. We need to know that God is God and we are not. We need to know that. So we don't come to him with demands, but we come to him with humble dependence. We don't come to him because we have something that he needs. We come to him because he has something that we need. That's also part of the gospel. So I ask you, have you received the gift of salvation that comes by faith in Christ? Have you come to the end of yourself saying, you know what? I see now that all that's been provided to me has come by you. And I see that all that I have contributed is a whole bunch of sin and rebellion and selfishness. Have you come to the end of yourself to the point where you're, you're here to say, you know what? Jesus, I just, I need you. You're the one that I need. 
You are the bread of life. You're the one that's going to satisfy. I've been chasing after oversized granola bars my whole life. But you are the bread of life. You're the one who gives me, who can, who can really satisfy. I don't just need you to take care of my daily needs. I'm glad that I have a paycheck and I'm glad that I have a house to live in. It's cool that I can put gas in my car. But I need way more than that. I need to be saved from my sins and from myself. I need to be saved from the punishment that I deserve in hell. I need, I need to be with you. That's the only thing that will satisfy me. Have you been there? Are you there? Do you recognize your need for Jesus? If you don't, come and talk to me. Or if you do and you want to you just hand your life over to Him, come and talk to me before you even leave this morning. The truth is this. Jesus longs to make His identity known to all people, including those far from Him and including disciples like us who a lot of times just don't quite get it. And that's good news.